0: It doesn't make sense to keep renting. You would want to have a place for yourself. I could probably save for something in a small country town. There is a chance, but you're very limited based on
1: where you want to live and the sacrifices you have to make. Is your rent so high that you can't manage to save a cent? Are you scared that you or your children will never own a home and that you'll be stuck in the rental cycle forever? Welcome to Real Talk, realestate.com.au's property news podcast. It's real questions, real experts and real insights. Today we'll be unpacking the state of the rental market and what it looks like for people who are looking to take that leap from renting to first home buying and whether it's actually even possible. We did speak to a couple of people about whether they think that owning a home is in their future.
0: Me and my friends don't really talk about buying because like, I'm 27 and there's no way I can afford any place where I would want to live in the near future at all. I rent, yeah. I'd like to buy, i not quite there yet. I'd have to get help. So I'm looking
1: at getting help to do that from family.
0: Nobody's going to reduce your price if everybody's cost of living is going
1: up. That's probably the main thing is saving up and getting the approval from the bank. Here with me today to talk through it all is Cameron Cusher, the Director of Economic Research at PropTrack, who has the insider knowledge if affordable housing even still exists, and James Alger from Mortgage Choice, who has a passion for helping first-home buyers enter the property market and in some pretty creative ways. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. This is a really interesting episode for me as somebody who has recently gone from renting to buying, and I can say that the process isn't easy. The 13 rate rises that we experienced cut my borrowing capacity by about $400,000. And I had an $11,000 hex debt, which in some states it's called a help debt. Previously, the banks didn't really care about that. But when I was going for my home loan, that $11,000 cost me $80,000. After I paid all of that off and I reassessed my numbers and I adjusted my expectations, it was a really long 12 months of going to auctions and being outbid Private sales that someone would have come over the top of me, also just not finding a property that I liked. It's really draining and it's really hard. James, how many home buyers in general are you seeing in this same situation?
2: It's a significant portion, at least two thirds, are really struggling with that cost of rent rising, cost of living rising, all of the same problems you described about HECs and paying off that university degree. It's really weighing heavy on their chance to save regularly and build that deposit. So it's it's the majority, without a doubt.
1: How are these people feeling? Are they adjusting their expectations and maybe going for a property class that's lower than what they wanted? Or are they actually just putting the whole search on hold?
2: Most first-time buyers are dealing with it in one of two ways. Definitely that lowering of expectations is a big part of that. And I think over the last two years, as we've seen, they've gone from saying, yeah, I'd love to get that three-bedroom property or a larger two-bedroom unit that maybe is a five to 10-year plan. They've had no choice but to lower those horizons. But they're dealing with the the saving as a deposit primarily either by, by moving into cheaper rental accommodation. That might mean moving back in with family, or it might mean going into a share house environment, moving someone in to rent the spare room if they've got one, or really significantly lowering their expectations and looking at what are their options for potential help from government schemes and things to buy a property with less deposit rather than put it off indefinitely.
1: Cam, can you paint a bit of a picture for us about the overall state of Australia's rental market and then how that is affecting the first home buyer group?
0: The rental market's been really interesting over the last few years. So initially during the pandemic, we saw really strong rental increases in the smaller capital cities and the regional markets. Pretty much over the last couple of years, what we've seen is a lot of that rental growth swing to the major capital cities, so Sydney and Melbourne, and then places like Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth, whereas it's weakened elsewhere. If we look at the number of properties available for rent at the end of last year on realestate.com.au, it was at a record low level. And we've seen significant decreases in those major capital cities as well in the amount of supply. Rental vacancy rates before the pandemic were around 2 2.5%. They're now sitting at 1%, below 1% in some of those cities as well. So the impact of this is landlords have got a lot of scope because there's this huge amount of demand and very low supply to put up rents. And in turn for 1st home buyers, what that means is they're having to pay more for rent. So they have less to save to move on from renting into their own home. In saying that, we are still seeing quite a large number of 1st home buyers doing that. The lending to 1st home buyers is up about 36% from its recent low, but there's always a cohort of people that would have the capacity relatively easily to move from renting to home ownership. I think the real challenge is those people that aren't in that situation that are desperately trying to save to get out of the rental market and simply just can't get ahead at the moment.
1: If that first home buyer group is growing, how big is it at the moment? Is this higher than what we've seen in a couple of years or has it declined since the real peak of first home buyers probably in 2020 and 2021?
0: It's definitely down from where it was at its peak. The share of first-home buyers at the moment is uh, 19% of all the value of new lending on a monthly basis. The long-term average share is 16.5%. So it's above its long-term average share. It's certainly nowhere near the heights we were seeing back in the early 2020, 2021, when there was a huge volume of first-home buyers in the system.
1: That's almost one in five. That's pretty good.
0: It is pretty good. And I think it's probably something that's not being spoken about as much, but I think it it really talks to the fact that there's a cohort of first-home buyers that are able to move. And I think you know they're probably getting help from their family and friends or their grandparents. They're probably also higher net worth individuals. And I think the other thing to think about with first-home buyers is people are having to buy their first home later in life.
1: A reduction of 30 to 40% for the first home buyer group when they're already trying to buy lower-priced asset class, that's massive because they're already trying to get in at the lower end of the market. So, if they're then slashed by 40%, it's like they're almost having to go in the negatives of the market, which doesn't even exist. But James... Do you think the transition from renting to buying is actually harder than what it's ever been?
2: It's definitely harder than it has been in recent years. I don't think any of us have lived in an environment where we said it's easy to buy your first home. I think retrospectively, the best time to buy was always a long time ago. And no matter when you look at that, it's definitely harder. The rental increase is definitely weighing heavy on the deposit. Lending in general is in some cases a little bit easier in terms of the red tape. There's been quite a lot of red tape taken away by the lenders in recent years that unfortunately hasn't followed through into significantly more borrowing power because of what's gone on with interest rates. But it's definitely hard. There's a positive in that I think right now, first home buyers who've lowered that expectation of what they hope to buy it are actually getting a significant amount of help with the various government schemes and stamp duty exemptions. So it's not impossible. It shouldn't be something people give up on.
1: I did speak to one renter about how they're feeling about a home buying journey in the future. Let's hear what they had to say.
0: I don't know if I'll ever own a house and I feel like you just have to come to terms with that. It does get me down sometimes, but I think unless you've got an inheritance or you've got a really good job or a partner that does, I think you're looking at probably not really ever owning a house where you'd want to live.
1: That person did sound a little bit dejected, I won't lie. And things are hard, but I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about what this group actually can do to get into the market. So, James, when we look at the figures, how much money does a home buyer really actually need for a home deposit? Because, look, this question might seem a bit ambiguous, but on a property value of 600,000, and there actually are some pretty cracking properties for 600,000. What type of money are we talking about for a deposit?
2: Depending on the various incentives available to that individual first-time buyer, it could be as little as $30,000. It doesn't have to be 20%. In many cases, that's still going to give a client a better outcome if they've got a larger deposit than just the 5% being 30 grand. $30,000 is still a big chunk of money, but for people who are able to maybe move back home or get into an environment where there's potentially two of them buying together, you're not talking about a multi year journey in every case to to assemble that kind of deposit.
1: Do you think it's better to say get in with that smaller deposit, whether it is that 5% at 30 grand or that 10% at 60 grand, or wait until you have the full 20%?
2: I think the answer to that depends on the individuals a little bit insofar as if getting to the 20% deposit, which is always the ideal, isn't something that's going to take them a huge length of time, multiple years, then sometimes there is a benefit in holding on and avoiding that $15,000, $20,000 mortgage insurance cost and the higher interest rates. But for those people where that time frame to, to assemble the ideal deposit is unreasonably long, most of the time it, it makes more sense to get in now if there's the opportunity, even if that does come at a higher cost.
1: What things can they do to bolster that deposit? What type of government help is there available to them?
2: One we're seeing a lot more use of here is the first-home guarantee scheme. Individuals earning below $120,000 on their own can take advantage of the fact the government will stand as guarantor for the bank on the the ideal level of deposit. So, so long as they've got 5% deposit, the government will stand with the bank for the other 15% and, and still give them the benefit of no mortgage insurance, lower interest rates, and some more generous lending policy around that. That isn't going to be possible for everyone. We're seeing a lot more people take advantage of that. The obvious one is stamp duty here in Sydney. Obviously, most people won't pay any stamp duty up to eight hundred thousand. There are still a large number of properties, even in Sydney, that trade below that eight hundred thousand. It's just not what the, the first home buyers have ideally been looking for, perhaps in their kind of dream of buying their first home. I think there's that reality adjustment. That people are coming to terms with now and saying, well, let's take
0: advantage.
1: Cam, how many properties are there around the country with this sort of a price tag?
0: It does vary greatly city to city, but nationally, you're probably looking at about 25 to 30% of all properties in the country. But if you go to Sydney, it's probably more like 10 to 15%. Same in Melbourne as well. And you're not going to be getting a house in a lot of these instances. It's going to be a townhouse, or it's going to be an apartment, or if it is going to be a house, it's going to be a long way from the city center, or it's going to need a lot of work if it's a bit closer in. It's not really fair, but it is really about readjusting the expectations when you are entering the market. And I think also, unfortunately for a lot of people, they can't buy their first home as their forever home. It's more of a case that it's a property to get into the market hopefully over time build some equity, hopefully over time your wages go up, you build your household wealth, and then maybe you'll be able to upgrade into something that realistically you can live in for the next 10 to 15 years. But the way the market is at the moment in Australia, most people are not going to be buying their first home as a property that they're going to live in for the next 10, 15, 20 years.
1: Sometimes these properties are a little bit of a stretch from where first home buyers want to live, but it actually does lead me to something that I want to talk about, which is rent vesting, buying where you can afford and then renting where you're going to live. The problem, renting where you want to live is getting a lot more competitive and a lot more expensive. James, I really want your opinion on this because it was a really popular thing to do a while ago to get into the market. By buying a cheaper home that in time would allow you to release that equity to then buy the home that you want. Do you see first home buyers doing this or are they looking more for the security of buying a home to live in?
2: We're not seeing it anywhere near as much as we were, primarily for two reasons. One is, as you've indicated, is that sense of security and home. People are no longer saying, well, at this rental property is hopefully somewhere I'll be able to stay for four or five years. Very often you're hearing of people having to move every year out of the rental because of the way that market is. The other major factor here is buying an investment property when interest rates were low. The cost of actual ownership and holding that asset long enough to see the capital growth was something that most people were in a position where the rental income covered A vast majority of those costs. Now, with interest rates where they are, that's even harder than it's ever been. And it's very rare, even in some of the highest rental yield areas for investment, it's very rare to see that rental income come close to covering the costs, let alone all of them. You've got first-time buyers now dealing with my rent's gone up and it's expensive for me to hold this investment property. And then you you add another layer and say, Well, look, it's five years from now, even if I've got equity if interest rates are still where they are today, that loan on my investment property is making it almost impossible for me to borrow anything towards a home. So there's none of this opportunity to leverage that equity. You've got to trade that property out. You've just got to be really lucky to have an investment property that's matured strongly enough to make that next step really viable. Most of those rent investors are now thinking much more seriously about that.
1: Cam, what trends are we seeing in the first home buyer market to get into the market creatively, if maybe rent vesting isn't perhaps the way to go anymore?
0: The general trends are people are having to go for smaller properties or they're having to choose options further away from the city. I think one of the more interesting trends more recently is because the cost of building materials has gone up so much over the last couple of years, a lot of the incentives for first-home buyers used to be about buying brand new properties. You don't actually meet what a brand new house, for example, in Sydney costs. You don't actually meet the thresholds to access all of these government support payments because a brand new house in Sydney is probably typically going to cost you $1.1 to $1.2 million. These incentives, the stamp duty reductions or your access to you know, the shared equity scheme from the federal government, is only sort of up to about $800 for stamp duty and up to about $950. Realistically, a lot of the first home buyer trends now, and this is being replicated elsewhere, not just in Sydney, is that people are looking for established homes rather than existing homes. They're choosing units rather than houses because that's the only thing at the moment, unfortunately, that really fits their budget.
1: James, I've got friends in their 30s with their kids who are moving back in with parents. So it could be actually a family of four or five who are moving back in with mum and dad in order to save the money for their forever home. Are you seeing this trend more with your clients?
2: Absolutely. If they're lucky enough to be in that situation, that's making a huge difference them saving their deposit. I think the lending from bank of mum and dad in recent years is significantly up. It's really interesting we're seeing so many people and that's a privilege that not everyone has.
1: How can people use their rental ledger in their loan application just to show that they can make regular repayments on rent to maybe bolster their chances of getting a home loan?
2: Having a, a regular rental ledger Instead of having a bigger deposit, can transform a bank's view of your value of your application when they're looking at it. So the banks, albeit they value highly a client's personal stake in the property, where that personal stake's not as high as ideal, they will look at things like a rental ledger and say, well, look, you know, that adds some extra sort of kudos to this application. That person can make regular payments. They've got a good track record. We're prepared to push the envelope in those environments. It is still not a large group of the lending institutions out there right now. There's little niches like that that can definitely help get people a foot in the door.
0: Looking more at renting and that history would be a huge help to first home buyers. And it's definitely something they should consider. I mean, I don't know if it's an APRA directive that they don't do that, or if it's an individual bank. A lot of these people are paying just as much as they would be in a mortgage on rent at the moment. You're clearly showing that you have the capacity to do that over the years that you have rented. But in a lot of instances, it's not, at all or very it's very little taken into consideration when they go and apply for a mortgage. I don't know if it needs to come from the federal government, there needs to be some sort of guarantee from them for those buyers, but I think that's a way you could actually really help first home buyers.
1: Cam, for renters who are looking to buy a home, what does the market hold for them in 2024?
0: We have a look at what's happening in the market at the moment. We're not building enough housing. The reason why property prices are so high is because we have this mismatch between demand for properties and supply of properties. Nothing is really changing in that situation. The government's hoping we build 1.2 million homes over the next five years. I have my doubts that that's going to be achievable, but the supply coming online at the moment is relatively low, at least in terms of approvals and commencements. The rental market itself is probably going to be quite challenging again next year. Interestingly, the annual rate of rental growth in 2023 was marginally lower than it was in 2022. So not many people are talking about that, but both years have seen double-digit rental growth. 22 was about 15.5%. Last year was about 11%. Is that in
1: price? Yes. So add those two together and you're looking at 25 to 30% price increase in two years. In
0: two years, yes. Wow, holy moly. It's massive. I think in terms of rental affordability, we are getting to that point where people just can't pay some of these rents that landlords are seeking. But what the reaction to that is going to be is if you've got the ability to do, and again, not everyone does move in with family or friends. But I think increasingly we're going to see more and more people moving into share houses. I think strongly that we are going to see governments, state and federal trying to do more to help first home buyers into the market. There's certainly a lot of people that are renting that are a long way from being able to move into home ownership. It's about trying to help those people that are finding it very hard to enter into home ownership. It's not about helping those people that could probably do it and then they get an extra sugar hit by some sort of government incentive.
1: Yeah, well, I certainly hope it does become easier for those people in the coming year. But it's actually all we have time for today. I've really enjoyed listening to the state of play for renters at the moment because there's a couple of stats in there today that I was completely unaware of. Hopefully, things turn around and those people can get ahead of the curb and crack into the market. But thanks so much guys for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alice.
1: And for our real estate industry friends tuning in, make sure you've got your ticket to REA's biggest event of the year, Ready24 on March 12th in Sydney. For more information, visit readyrea.com.au. Thanks for joining me. This has been Real Talk. For your weekly fix, please follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and tune in next time for more real questions, news and insights on the topics that matter most from realestate.com.au, Australia's number one address in property. All information provided is general advice and opinion based on current market conditions. These opinions should not be treated as investment advice. Always obtain advice based on your individual circumstances.
0: Real Talk acknowledges the traditional custodians of country through Australia and their connections to land, sea, air and community. We pay our respects to Elders past and present.